0: Well, hey, it is good to be with you uh, this morning. My name is John Anderson. I'm the campus pastor here, and uh, most time I have this big booming voice. And today I do not, so you'll have to bear with me uh, on that. But uh, I haven't practiced my sign language or anything like that, so you're just going to get it uh, as it is. We come as we are to Hope Des Moines, amen. Uh, So that's kind of where we're at uh, this morning. But we're glad that you're here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet. Uh, Would love to do that. We love new people at Hope, and that's why we exist as a church. So we are so glad that you uh, are here and pray that you feel loved uh, and welcomed in this place. Today we're continuing on the sermon series called I Am that Amanda kicked off for us last week. We're looking at these six statements, these I Am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open those up today and follow along. Yes, we're one of those weird churches that has you read your Bible in church, believe it or not. It's this crazy idea to have those open and not just hear it from the pastor, but actually read it for yourselves, and we pray that you're reading it during the week as well. But the Gospel of John, these six statements that Jesus uses, these metaphors, these analogies to help communicate his identity, and it makes sense because that's really John's heart. The entire Gospel of John is based on this idea and is answering this question of, who is this guy? Who is Jesus really? Really? Is he really the one? Is he really the one that the nation of Israel has been waiting for, the Messiah, the one that we've waited for, that the prophets have told about? And so the question that everybody is asking is, is he the one? Everybody say, one. One. Is he the one? Which, of course, is a question that you hear asked not just in the Gospels, but when you think about, are they the one, that question has probably come up a time or two, you often hear that, in the wonderful world of... Dating. Yes, dating, especially during the college years, wondering, are they the one? Now, my wife and I last weekend were at <clears throat> excuse me, were at the Riverside Marriage Retreat uh, up in Story City, and it was an awesome time, and we had several couples from the church uh, there with us, and it was great, and it was awesome, and one of the many things that it did is it got me a little bit nostalgic in thinking about the first time that I met my wife, which is absolutely just love at first sight, and everything went perfectly, and we weren't weirded out by each other at all. Or the story goes a little bit differently. So it was the summer leading up to my sophomore year, and I was doing what every poor college student does uh, during the summer, uh, playing golf in my front yard uh, for fun. Uh, And so there I was out doing my thing with my sandals on, with my flip-flops on, and this car drives by. And it's my friend Katie, who is actually a student at Waldorf as well. She lives in Story City, and she's got another girl with her. And they are home, I find out, from volleyball camp. Uh, They partner up a senior and a freshman, and this other girl is a freshman. So they're bringing bringing her back. And, And so she's there in hometown, and she pulls over, and she's waving. And the other girl doesn't look too excited because who's this weirdo out playing golf in his front yard on Main Street in Story City? And so there we are, and they pull up, and they get out. And she is clearly not wanting to be seen. She is in her volleyball volleyball spandex uh, outfit. And here we are meeting this boy, and she discovers that, yes, I go to Waldorf as well. And so we're there, and you know what you do? Kind of an awkward conversation. You're kind of just standing there, and you just don't really want to make eye contact. Well, clearly she's not interested in me, and so she's staring down at the ground. And as any well-versed man that's trying to make a good impression on a woman, I utter the words, oh, you must be looking at my web feet. I have two toes, you may not know that, I have two toes that are stuck together. Uh, and so I just thought, oh, that, you know, it was, I had flip-flops on, so you probably see those, and she goes, clearly disgusted, uh, no. No, no, not at all. Uh, And so it turns out that was a massive conversation killer. Guys, don't start uh, by talking about your feet. Uh, But needless to say, it did not go smoothly. Some people would say that they met their spouse and it was love at first sight. It was not love at first sight uh, for us. I would say it was utter awkwardness at first sight uh, for us. But thankfully, the story didn't end there because we ended up spending a lot of time together over the next couple years at Waldorf and her friends, probably a lot sooner than my friends, when you get to know somebody and you're dating for a while, inevitably that question comes up. So do you think they're the one? Do you think that they're the one that you've been waiting for? And of course, her friends were asking her that after our first date. My friends, you know, it took a couple years. It's like, yeah, you should probably marry this girl or just stop dating her, right? Just kind of get on with it, right? You're wondering, are they the one? When Jesus steps on the scene in the Gospel of John, that's what everybody's wondering as well. Are they, is he the one? Is he the one we've been waiting for? Not the boyfriend or girlfriend, but as the Messiah, the light of the world, the Savior who would come because from the beginning of the Gospel, he's doing some really crazy things like turning water into wine. I mean, who does that? Um, how about uh, taking, uh, spitting in the mud and rubbing some mud on a blind guy's eyes and all of a sudden... He could see, and now here in John chapter 8, he starts forgiving people's sins. That, those are only things that God does. So they're wondering, is this guy an imposter? Is he a fake, or is he the real deal? Is he the one? And so today's story, Jesus uses one of the most powerful circumstances to remind us that he indeed is the one. So if you have your Bibles, look at John chapter 8. Verse one. That's where we're going to pick up the story today. You may have heard this story; it may be familiar to you. But we're going to unpack it in a brand new way today. So, John chapter eight, verse one. So we pick up the story in verse two. Uh, actually, jump into it. It says, "At dawn, he, meaning Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered." Around him, And he sat down to teach them. If you ever go to a church service and the preacher sits down, you're probably going to be there for a while. Just so you know. Not going to do that uh, this morning. But that he's got a lot to say. So he sits down. While Jesus is teaching, keep in mind that Jesus is God. If God was getting a, giving a sermon, would you pay attention? Would you interrupt him? Probably not. Guess who interrupts him? The religious people, right? So here comes the Pharisees. The teacher of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group. So, pause there for a second. Picture the scene. This woman, right in the middle of his teaching, thrown right down at Jesus' feet. Scholars would say not just caught in adultery, but if you dig a little bit deeper into the context in the original Greek, they're caught in the act of adultery, <clears throat> meaning this happened recently. And so there's probably a lot of guilt and shame, and I don't know if you've ever been there, been in one of those moments where you're exposed and you're like, I'm busted. My closets are laid bare. Some of you have been in that position, and so you know the feeling, but imagine not just being exposed to people you don't know or your friends and family. Imagine in your time of greatest exposure being thrown down at the feet of God. So what is he going to do? And she's there exposed, utter humiliation, totally exposed. Have you ever been there? You ever been in that moment and you know that feeling? And so we continue the story in verse 4. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Verse 5, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? So in this moment... Jesus finds himself in this incredible pickle. I mean, he is stuck because there's there's no right way to answer this question. And even we read from the context, the Pharisees were trying to trap him. The law does say that anyone caught in adultery can be killed, not necessarily by stoning, but by other methods. There was really heinous crimes. You know, for somebody that was really guilty, they would use a crucifix, But in this moment, for this crime, they chose stones. And so here's all these pastors, these teachers, these synagogue leaguers standing around this girl in utter humiliation, not just with little rocks that you skip across the lake, but with giant boulders. And Jesus is in a pickle because everybody's standing around. And here's the thing. Jesus is supposed to be the fulfillment of the law And now the law is on trial. And so if Jesus says, yes, go ahead and stone her, what message does that send about Jesus' message? His message of love and peace and not hatred and no violence. And all of a sudden, God is this hateful, harsh God. But on the other hand, if he says, no, don't stone her, then he's not following what the law says. And he's in a pickle that way. And he appears to be an enemy in the law and a friend of sinners and essentially saying that sin is allowable. And so Jesus is in this pickle, because either way that he answers this question is going to prove that he's not the one, which is exactly what the Pharisees are trying to get to. And here in front of a mob with stones raised, looking down on a guilty woman, ashamed and humiliated, ultimately, this isn't about the woman, the woman is not ultimately on trial, ultimately, the heart of God is on trial. What kind of a God is he? Because every single one of us has been in that position and will be in that position at some point in our lives. What kind of a God do we have? And we know that Jesus, of the many reasons he came, one of the main reasons he came to this earth was to reveal to us what God is like in flesh. And I could say imagine that scene or we could just take a look and watch and imagine in this next clip you being the one That Jesus comes and rescues. Let's take a look. With each rock that falls to the ground, it's almost like you can hear and feel the weight of this woman's sin and guilt fall to the ground as well. In a brief moment, think about it, she was able to look her Savior in the eyes. And maybe we don't know exactly how it happened but receive a kiss from heaven. The heart of God is on trial, and how does Jesus navigate this impossible situation? Well, he lifts up two aspects, two characteristics of the heart of God that our culture loves to separate. If you think about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, some of you just, how many of you just like peanut butter on your sandwich if you just have peanut butter? How many of you just like jelly? Jelly? Okay. One of you. Okay. How many like peanut butter and jelly? There it is, right? Everybody say and. And. And It's the power of the and, right? Peanut butter by itself is kind of a little chalky, right? Jelly by itself is kind of lacking something. The same is true with these two aspects of God's heart that he lifts up, and they are grace and truth. Everybody say grace. grace. Everybody say truth. So most of our political and social battles today can boil down to a misunderstanding of grace and truth as we'd like to go to one extreme or another and camp out in one of these camps on the extremes. I mean, you name the topic and it can be summed up in this story. There are those that say following Jesus is all about truth, that following Jesus is all about right and wrong and black and white and those who are right and those who are wrong. Now, is the heart of God for law and justice and for right and wrong? Absolutely. Don't forget in the story there is truth spoken here and a hard truth as Jesus looks this woman in the eyes and says, go and sin no more. A nice way of saying, stop. I'm pleading with you stop going the way that you're going. And for some of you, that's you today. And you need some truth spoken into your life. There is a direction that your life is headed, and Jesus is compassionately looking you in the eyes and pleading with you, stop. Stop going the way you're going. And that's one extreme, is that everybody says it's all about truth. And just beating people over the head with the Bible, and if they could just abide by the law and be good Christians like me, then we would be there's the truth camp, but then way over here, there's the grace camp as well. And we use words for this, we kind of mask it with words like tolerance and love well, you know, it's really not that bad. God loves and accepts everybody, so there's just grace abounding. And you see, they, they see truth and, and law not as God's gift to protect us and have the best life possible, but any sort of truth is seen as angry judgment and something that causes deep wounds and something that's rigid or out of date. And any attempt to call somebody out or to, to out of discipline for them would be seen as hatred or intolerance. Too bad that this story has nothing to do with anything going on in our culture today, right? And so here's these two things, grace and truth, that we love to separate, but they were never meant to be separate. And into this impossible scene and into our fiercely divided culture today steps a carpenter from Nazareth. And he says grace and truth back in the beginning of the gospel in John chapter 1, we read this. The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Get this, full of grace and truth. Everybody say and. Amen. Don't miss the and there. Full the epitome of grace and truth. Not tolerance, not anything goes, not do what feels right, but not truth. There's right and wrong, and if you're outside of that, then there's no grace, and there's no love, and there's no compassion. It's grace and truth. Jesus primarily was not interested in judgment. Jesus was not primarily interested in tolerance. He was primarily interested in transformation, and he knows that if our hearts are going to change, if people's hearts are going to change, if we're going to be transformed, Grace and truth have to be acting in tandem, together. Why? Because Jesus knew that without grace, without our words and our actions towards each other being wrapped in love and relationship, it's not really truth. It often falls on deaf ears. But grace without truth also isn't grace. Grace without truth without the reality of our sin without the brutal reality of what we're being rescued from isn't grace it becomes cheap grace don't cheapen the grace of what Jesus has bought for you on the cross it exists here in scripture but how do we live this out as a church how what would it look like for us to be a church full of grace and truth i think i got a glimpse of this a few years ago there was a gal It was a part of our community. She's not here anymore. She has since moved away to a different town for a job, but she was really struggling. And like a lot of folks in our community, she found herself down on her luck. She'd had a really difficult life as a single mom, and she was trying to raise a two-, three-year-old boy by herself. And yet, during that time, she found herself in a woman's shelter for women with children here in the city. And that just happened to be one of the spots that we provide transportation for, for our breakfast club ministry. And so she's, she'd been coming for a while and got connected and even joined the church. And one of, our, <clears throat> one of our life groups kind of adopted her a little bit and kind of took her under their wing. And she was growing and she was changing and making really good choices. And then one day she discovered and we discovered that she had become pregnant with another man. And you can imagine the guilt, and you can imagine the shame. Of course, not relating to the story today at all, but just, you know, for instance. And here she is, and she's got to be thinking, and we later hear, she said, I didn't think that you would want me back. Because I think I, I, I messed up too royally this time, so I've had my chances. I'm sure that I've worn out God's grace. And so she stopped going to the small group, she stopped showing up here, but thankfully she had a relationship with some of the women in that group, and of course they met with her and encouraged her and got her to agree. They said, you know what, we'll just call her Abby for the sake of this story. They said, you know what, Abby, not only are you welcome here, what would you think about us throwing you a baby shower? She What? Yeah, we're going to throw you a baby, baby shower and you invite your mom and your sister and your family and, and we'll invite people from the church and anybody can come and we'll just celebrate you and we'll celebrate this new life. Okay, and, and, and so they start planning the shower and there's grace in that, but don't forget that there was also truth spoken. Some of these women from the small group gathered around her and explained to her what God's heart is for marriage and sex and that commitment and that intimacy that, that Pastor Mike talked about a couple weeks ago. And she heard that truth and she received it because the truth was wrapped in grace. It was wrapped in love. It's not truth for truth's sake. It's truth for the sake of transformation. Amen? So that's what we're after here. And so there they are at this baby shower celebrating the fact that no baby is an accident. Every life is valuable. There's no, God doesn't make mistakes. It's not a fortunate situation. It's going to be difficult for her, but she's not alone. She's a part of a community. And so there they are at this baby shower, and although her mother and her sister were very upset at her and did not approve of her life choices, they agreed to come to the baby shower. And one of our women's group leaders in that group, that that couple's group, said at a certain point in the shower, she's opening gift after gift after gift. After knowing the truth, knowing she's guilty, she's got it. But this grace upon grace upon grace just pouring over her. The mom went from bitterness and and being jaded towards the church. That Abby's mom and sister just started to weep. And in the middle of that kind of mixture of laughter and tears, turned to one of our women's group leaders and says, you are from the church, right? AKA, this doesn't make any sense. The church is supposed to kick you out. The church is supposed to point the finger of judgment and they were doing the exact opposite. But it was a beautiful example of grace and truth. Everybody say and. And. It was peanut butter and jelly and it was a beautiful moment. They were never meant to be separated. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. That's why we have a giant cross in our worship center to remind us every single week none of us deserve to be here but it is by the grace of Jesus Christ that we're able to come and be a part of it. And it's here right in the middle of this mess. You've got the adulterous woman story, okay? And then right after the story, maybe you've never realized this before, I needed a reminder this week. Right after the story of the adulterous woman is when Jesus stands up and says, I'm the light of the world. And he who follows me will never walk in darkness. And maybe you've never thought about this before, but what? Jesus, we just kind of had this awkward tension story, and now you're talking about being the light of the world. What does that have to do with the adulterous woman? Well, more than you think. There's too many things I want to point out for you today. The reason that Jesus uses this metaphor right now is that number one, light reveals sin. This is timely by Jesus. Light reveals sin. If you think about it, sin in general, including this woman's sin, adultery, is very secretive often. When you are living a certain way in your life that you don't want other people to know about or that is contrary to God's law, it's hidden. It's secretive. It's often dark. And so here, right in the middle of this Woman, scholars believe that in her sin, this was probably not the first time that she had been promiscuous. Into that life, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And, young lady, I'm the light in your world. I'm not just the light of the world, I want to be the light in your darkness. Today And it's almost like in that scene, fresh on their minds, probably the same mob that saw Jesus rescue this woman from death. It's like Jesus is saying to the mob there that day, and he's saying to you as he looks you in the eyes. You don't have to keep hiding in your sin either. You don't have to keep living in darkness. You don't have to keep being overcome by your weaknesses and your fears and your insecurities. But hear me say this, it is not scary. We need not fear being exposed by the light of God because there's no judgment or condemnation there. Hear me say that. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. And so if you're carrying something with you today, drop it. Let Jesus take that weight off of you. You don't have to carry it any longer. So what about you? What about you? What darkness do you find yourself in today? The circumstances might be different from this story, but the problem hits all of us. Some of you are very fearful right now that you're going to be found out for a way that you're living your life. Some of you, if you're honest, are living a duplicitous life. And what I mean by that is you find yourself being one person on the weekends at worship You find yourself being another person at work with your coworkers. You find yourself being another person with your family and maybe another person with your friends that you go hit the town with. The duplicitous life, living in darkness, is exhausting, isn't it? What if you could just be the same person wherever you are? What if you didn't have to be the poser anymore? What if you could take off the mask? Others of you are saying... I, every time I come to worship and I am just about commit to something, even if it's saying hi to somebody or opening up or coming up for prayer or joining a life group or getting involved in a team, it's like I'm only going to go so far because I don't want to get burned by the church again. And that's a very lonely place to be for some of you. And just as he did for the woman that day, I want you to imagine yourself down on the ground, With those condemning you and judging you, circled around you, and Jesus clears the way. And he comes down to you. And he, you know when I really want to get my kids' attention. I grab them by the cheeks. Kind of gently like that. And I look them in the eyes, and can you imagine this morning your Savior looking you in the eyes? You know those eyes that could just pierce your heart and see right through you? And he looks at you and says, you can come out of hiding. You can experience church. You can experience Christianity the way that it was meant to be experienced. Not hiding, not holding back, not never being vulnerable. You can experience the way that it was meant to be experienced. You don't have to live isolated. The light of God's love is shining on you this morning and there's no condemnation. There's grace. But Jesus also says, stop. Living in darkness and come into the light. He's pleading with you because that's where the life is, or the light that leads to life. But light doesn't in this story doesn't just reveal the woman's sin. It reveals a different kind of sin in that light reveals unbelief. Some of you think the adulterous woman story is all about the adulterous woman and her sin. And just as all we often do in our culture, there are certain sins specifically sexual sins, that we like to elevate. And we say those people that commit those sins. And yet most of John chapter 8 and most of the gospel of John is not about the sins of those people, it's about the sins of the religious people that Jesus has a really hard time being patient with. And yet he does because he's God and somehow he you know manages all that. But the sin of unbelief, light reveals unbelief. It would be helpful to know that when Jesus stands up there in the temple teaching and declares, I am the light of the world. It's during this feast called the Feast of the Tabernacles was this Jewish holiday where uh, once a year, this was one of three festivals that everybody would kind of come and wherever they lived in Israel, they would make a pilgrimage to the temple, to the holy temple, and they would have this huge party. Now, I know because of context here, that Iowa State fans know how to party during March Madness. And some of you are just riding that emotional high today. And I watched videos and I watched Facebook Live and everybody having a great old time down in Kansas City or Hilton South, as you call it. You think Iowa State fans know how to party. The Feast of Tabernacles was a giant party with, I mean, biblical sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You want to talk about it. It was there, okay? So no wonder that there was maybe a woman caught in adultery. You see the context now of the story. And right in the middle of that is what they would do, is that really the heart of the holiday was not all the partying and the promiscuous lifestyle. The heart of the holiday was that the Jews and the the nation of Israel was remembering when Moses led them out of Egypt from slavery into freedom and when they wandered for 40 years in the desert one of the ways God led them was by a pillar of fire at night. And so one of their rituals that they would do is that they would light these lanterns. And it was usually at night, and they would light these lanterns in the dark, and as the the nighttime would get darker, these lanterns would just light up the sky. I think we got a picture of kind of what it could look like. Go ahead and go to the next slide. And these lanterns are not doing it justice Obviously, keep, keep bringing it down just a little bit there so we can get the, the full experience there. These are no longer doing it justice, but they would light these lanterns as if to say, remember when God's presence was with us? <laughs> and it would say that these lanterns lit up the whole city, and they were amazed by how bright the light was in the middle of the darkness. And right in the middle of all those lanterns, right in the middle of the temple, is the context to which our God stands up and declares, I am the light of the world. You think these lights are bright. I'm here to shine in your darkness today, whatever darkness you find yourself in. And I'm not only the light of Israel, the light of the Jewish nation. God says, I'm the light of the world, of rich and, old, uh, rich and poor and young and old and adults and kids and people from the cities and people from the suburbs. And get this, I'm the light of Republicans and Democrats and everybody in between. I'm the light of people inside the church. I'm the light for people outside the church. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So you can have fun with all your lanterns looking back but it's time to come out of the darkness, Jesus says, and step into the light. That was the evening festival. Jesus says, I've got a good analogy to throw in here. I'm the light. I'm the light. And then slowly, the daytime lights would come back up, and the next night, they would light the lanterns again. But that's the context there. And so here's the Pharisees, the religious people, seeing Jesus say that, and their sin is not adultery, their sin is unbelief. Believe in the one. Believe in the one, that Jesus is the one, and that's the context that Jesus says this. So here's the crowd of people, and what they don't understand that this is also a foreshadowing of what's to come, because light not only reveals Sin, But light overcomes sin. Light overcomes any kind of darkness that we might find ourselves in. Light reveals and light overcomes. It is no secret that you and I live in a very dark world. I mean, you can watch the evening news. You can scroll through your Facebook feed. Anymore, I just, I can't handle scrolling through my Facebook feed because it's either somebody uh, with a recipe going in, in, in fast forward or some terrible thing that's happened in the world. Or a cat stuck in a tree or something like that. That's Facebook these days. You can read about it in the newspaper or you can read about it in the human heart. Yes, there's the big things like wars and hunger and disease. But what about right here in Des Moines? Around us, the violence, the abuse, the fatherless homes, the racism, the the hate right here in Des Moines. And it's out there, but it's also in here. Jesus says, when we talk about sin, don't just look out there, turn and look in here. And it's into that reality that we also hear these words, go back to John chapter 1 if you have your Bibles, and Jesus says, well John says this about Jesus, John chapter 1 verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, and then let's read verse 5 together, nice and loud. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Has not, will not, ever overcome it. Of course, a foreshadowing of the day that Jesus comes walking out of his own grave, proving once and for all that sin has been overcome, death has been overcome, cancer, thank God, has been overcome, darkness has been overcome. The guilt and the shame that you carry with you today over mistakes that you've made in the past has been overcome by the light of Jesus Christ. And today I want you to know that Jesus Christ has come to make you alive, to set you free, and to put his light inside of you. One of the most crazy things that Jesus ever says is in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus not only says, I'm the light of the world, but when you believe in me, I'm gonna put my light inside of you. And he says, you are the light of the world so much so that you're like like a city on a hill that should never be hidden. I mean, you remember the story, right? You're gonna have to sing it for me because I don't have a voice, so you're gonna have to sing it for me this morning. I'll just start you. This little... Oh, don't be so excited, right? This little... I'm gonna... Okay, it gets too high after that, but... What's the second verse? Hide it under a bushel? No. No, why would you ever do that? Because once you've experienced the light, you're not going to keep it to yourself. And that's why we do what we do around here. That's why we're trying to plant 75 more churches in Ghana. Can you imagine going into a place where people have never heard the good news of God's love for them? That's why this matters. It's not just a, drive or a fundraiser, this is the most important work that we could do. There are over 40,000 people worshiping in Ghana because of Lutheran Church of Hope, because of God through Lutheran Church of Hope. Praise God for that. Amen? Praise God for that. You can clap for that. Absolutely. You bet. But it's not just that. It's why we do everything that we do. It's why we provide transportation and food for breakfast club. It's why we mentor kids through WizKids here on Thursday nights. It's why our new multicultural outreach team we have is going to be reaching out to these hundreds of refugees that continue to pour into the state of Iowa. It's why we do what we do. Because what good is light if it's not engaging the darkness? I want to end with a quick story about my son and as I was writing this I was writing saying my three-year-old son but in a couple weeks he's gonna be four and so we find ourselves in a place that you never want to take a four-year-old boy <clears throat> Walmart specifically the toy aisle and this is a boy mind you that finds great fascination with rocks and sticks so you can imagine the amazingness of the Walmart toy aisle. Well, of all the things that he wants to get is a flashlight not a big one, just a little one like this. And flashlights are so cool, because did you know when you shut off the lights, every day can turn into an adventure, into a treasure hunt? And so he'll turn off all the lights in our house and he'll get out his little light and he'll shine it around and say, Daddy, let's go on a treasure hunt. And so he, he wants a new flashlight. So we get one and he, trying to turn it on, we realize it doesn't have batteries, so we have to go to the battery aisle and get some batteries and we put it in there and. I'm in the checkout line checking out some other stuff and he's fidgeting with it and he's got the light on and he's shining it around and even brighter than the lights are in here. You know Walmart. It's like fluorescent lights. It's fluorescent city, right? And he's shining his little light and it's super bright in there and he's getting so frustrated. He's like, I can't, I can't see it. And then my son, apparently a prophet now, turns to me and says, like screams, so everybody around can hear. (laughs) Daddy, can we go find some darkness? And he was like, in that moment, I was like, yes, that's it. That's what it means to be the church, to not just come to church, but to be the church because we don't have to fear what has already been defeated. And if your sin and your death and your guilt and your shame and cancer and disease and anything this world could throw at us has already been defeated, then why are we just sitting here all together shining our lights where it's already bright, that every week when we come, that you would get a flashlight on your way out and you would go out to a dark and a dying world to shine the light of Jesus Christ and bring his hope and love to a world that desperately needs it, amen? That's why we've been given the light. Daddy, can we go find some darkness? I pray that that would be your heart, posture, and motivation for being a part of this church to not come and think that comfort and safety and security are why we exist as a church. But we exist to go find some darkness and engage it because the light of Jesus Christ shines in the darkness and the darkness has never and will never overcome it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to close with a song today. And as we sing this song, we say these words, I will call upon the Lord. This is our prayer that the power is not in us. The power of the light is not in us, but it's in God's light shining in us. And so we make this our prayer today, that I will call upon the Lord, for he is strong to save. Let's sing and worship together.